We are back for the second episode of Past, Present, Future. I'm Griffin, your host. Thanks for clicking that link and giving us a chance. This is a new comics recommendation and discussion podcast where I sit down with a guest and we talk about our favorite books from the past, the present, and the future. We get to share what we love with each other and you at home. My guest this episode is my pal and the host of On the Digital Soapbox with Soapbox J, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's Soapbox J. Yo, what's going on, Griff? Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. I've been looking forward to this. I've really appreciated that we've gotten to become friends uh, through the course of the things that we love talking like this. It's nice to like long form, be able to like look at some books we both love today. So that's I'm, I'm pretty hype about this episode. Uh, do you want to give a quick rundown on your podcast and then we'll jump into some comics? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my podcast is called uh, On the Digital Soapbox with Soapbox J and I'm the host Soapbox J. I'm into uh, video games. I used to talk comics, but I kind of pushed that to the side to other people who are better equipped, uh, like Griffin and a couple other people who are doing this stuff. I, video games are my wheelhouse. I pay very close attention to the uh, industry. I do. It's basically a quasi-political take on the industry as a whole and how we can, as consumers, how we can better the industry and push it to be better. I'm on uh, Spotify and wherever podcasts are available, Apple, iTunes, podcasts, whatever they call that. Also on Twitter, on a soapbox with three X's, not a porn reference, I swear. <laughs> but uh, yeah, follow me. I talk my shit. It's, it's fun. You do talk your shit. And uh, <laughs> I, I always appreciate your perspective. So I encourage anyone watching this to check you out. Uh, let's start off by talking a little bit about like what got you into comics and where does that love for the medium come from for you? Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I'm in my mid-40s right now. I'm aging myself. So uh, uh, what's it called? We, I remember when I was younger, my father used to bring me to the barber shop. Yeah, we're, we're taking this back. And the magazine rack before smartphones. Oh. Yeah. The dude had Alan Moore Swamp Things sitting there. And I picked up the, the issue. I don't remember which one it was because I was young because I had to be less than 10 years old. But Swamp Thing looked cool as hell to me. <laughs> when I, to my 10-year-old brain. I was like, this is amazing. Not, maybe not even 10, maybe more like eight. And uh, when it was time to leave the barbershop, I wanted to let me take the book with me because he saw I liked it so much. And that was what kind of spawned my love for comics. You know, I asked my father, I was like, can we buy more of these? <laughs> <laughs> and then he took me to a you know a supermarket because there was no comic book stores back then and you know x-men spider-man just the stuff like that that i gravitated towards batman obviously dc and marvel there was really not a huge indie scene at the time but uh i really didn't completely get it especially swamp thing swamp thing is some mature shit it, it, it really gets deep and i just read it recently and the whole alan moore run i just finished it and I don't know what I thought this was as a kid, but it's, 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 it's a great, it's a great run uh, now that I understand where he's coming from with it. But yeah, I just, I, I, I gravitated towards those books in the eighties. Then the Marvel, remember Marvel cards? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. had a great Marvel card collection in the nineties. Yeah. And it pulled me back in and I, I, you know, I gravitated towards the supernatural stuff and then I fell off again and I got back into it when they added uh, when I got an iPad, a tablet, and I wanted to 
resubmerge myself in the comic book culture back in, I want to say maybe 2009, 2010. And I read Sweet Tooth and a couple other books. One of the books that I'll be talking about today from my past and just have not let go since. It's, it's such a beautiful, immersive art form, in my opinion, that does not that the creators do not get the respect that they deserve for a multi-billion dollar industry that they've crafted facts and you know while i'm not gonna lie if you've heard my my stuff on my podcast I, i'm a fan of the marvel stuff the, sh- the the movies the shows and stuff like that and uh some of the dc stuff you know i'm a little critical with them but i think they've earned that reputation but um it's it's my childhood brought into like form as an adult where you're realizing the complexities of some of these characters and the layers of some of these characters 20 to 30 years later that are that's still there and it's true i will not yeah i'll I'll be reading this stuff i'm years behind uh with when it comes to the the mainstream stuff with the indie stuff i i I take your recommendations a lot and i start reading a lot of things because like honestly i am like a stand for you <laughs> like you have put me <laughs> on to so much shit and i can't i can't stop gushing about you and this show i think this is awesome that you're doing this i think your voice is honestly something that needs to be out there in the comic book recommendation world you you are one of the best that i that do it and i'm not just gassing you i i mean that i uh i handle compliments super poorly <laughs> so i'm i am turning incredibly red <laughs> but th- thank but, um, you that's that's really no, nice of you bud it's it is it is all earned and deserved in my opinion i'm not just saying it's because we're cool i am this is how i discovered you you know it's a real treat to sit down and talk comics what past book has your attention what what book do you want to talk about today the book that I want to talk about is one of the comics alongside Sweet Tooth that got me back into the fold of comics, which is We Three, which came out in a 2004 uh, Vertigo DC run. Uh, it's written by Grant Morris, Morrison and uh, Frank Quietly. And it is, a, it is an easy, quick, super quick read, three issues long. Uh, and, and I love the... Uh, I love the story for multiple reasons. It's just, there's so many ways that you can take this. Um, we, you can enjoy it on a level of face value. It's cool to see, you know, the, the thing. Now, let me get into the story. I'm getting ahead of myself. It's a, a social commentary on the military industry, industrial complex, and the way America treats its and disposes of its uh, veterans. It speaks on the far-reaching, abusive influence uh, that the military seems to have on corrupting even the most innocent of creatures. So there's these three animals that are in robotic suits of armor that the military is repurposing to do like hits. And they're not necessarily ferocious animals either. They're just like a dog, like a golden retriever, I think it is, a house cat and a rabbit. Bandit, Tinker, and Pirate. And the only reason you know these, these, these animals' names is because of the covers of each issue shows the missing poster of these animals, Oof. which is way more hard-hitting than showing somebody talking about a missing animal. It's just like they were abducted, it seems like. So when they're repurposed, they're, you know, they were repurposing. Get, they, they come from, you know, really highly personal names like pirate because the rabbit has a patch over its eye and they're 
renamed, they're renamed one, two, and three because it's not an identity anymore. It's just a number. You're just, you're a cog in the machine. It's a story that can be enjoyed on multiple levels. It face value. It's cool to see, you know, the, some of the animals flip out in, in these really interesting fight scenes. But it also, like, uh, it's also, uh, it, again, like, it, it covers multiple layers of, of different aspects. And it really, get, it really starts to hit hard. I don't want to give too much away. Uh, the, but the animals go rogue at one point because they're supposed to be disposed of because they've accomplished their mission as the test. So let's move on to other things. And um, first, first off, this is the precursor. This is the team. The team worked together for um, All-Star Superman, which is also a great book. But uh, like this came out a couple years before it. So if you were a fan of that book, I, I implore you to check this out. And uh, even though it ends on a very somber, it's kind of hopeful. And the amount of empathy that you have for these three, even with, with a limited vocabulary, the, the, the way these animals talk, it's, it's not like, good boy, I did good. That's it. Ill, humans, stinky. That's it. You know, that's, 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 that's pretty much how the animals talk to one another. It's very childlike and I just, I can't, I've read this book so many times. And like I said, it's a really quick read, 20 to 30 minutes. You can di just digest the entire series. And I think that this is one of the most powerful uh, comics that I've read that really covers, you know, like the, the, it really covers how fucked up the military industry could be and how governments just try to cover things up. And it's, it's, it speaks volumes about how we treat our soldiers it speaks volumes how we treat our people and our community as a whole. It's really incredible. I actually, so I read this for the first time, I think this year. I had been put, put off because the concept of animal soldiers didn't sell me, but it's Morrison. And because it's Morrison, uh, they use these, these innocent characters in such an effective way to, to convey these themes. And it's, it is, it's everything you said. Uh, and when I finally gave it a chance, it, it's it's kind of incredible what they do with these like non-traditional protagonists uh, and and the amount of emotion and feeling they're able to put into the protagonist while just using such simple dialogue. It's it's a really it's a really fantastic book. Quietly's art and it's really cool. There's a lot of really cool like little paneling for uh, effect, uh, some really cool layouts. The colors just pop too. It's a it's a it's a great looking and and the fact that it's so short it always impresses like it, it it impresses me because of the amount that's conveyed in three issues. I've been thinking a lot lately about like the way American comics and the 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 state of the ongoing medium kind of affects storytelling, and it, it's such a hard contrast to see what Morrison does in three issues here. Like, Absolutely. Morrison is a uh, masterclass at uh, their skill. This was my introduction to them. And I, I've read other stuff that, that uh, Morrison has put out in the past. And this is uh, what made me such a big fan of the work, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's just, it's, it's, Morrison always has a very weird way of writing at times yeah. and I, I I'm 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 a closet edge lord and I love <laughs> the weird take that's uh put on page at times 
So it's it's not a problem to me. I I I eat that shit up. But uh, this book, it just it just holds a special place in my heart. And I don't know on how they on on how they could have conveyed the message any better than on paper like that. It uh, it's one of those stories that uh, it's comics. You know, uh, you could do it as a show. You could do it as a movie. But you wouldn't get the paneling and the effect and the the pacing is just so comics. Uh, and that's another thing that I took away from it. If you haven't read it, read it. Go read buy it, it. <laughs> please. It's great. Two, two emphatic recommendations here. The book that I'm going to talk about from the past is uh, The Unwritten. This is a Vertigo book from 2010, 2009, somewhere in there. Do you remember Vertigo? It was the mature DC imprint that gave us some of the greatest comics published from the mid-90s to the early aughts. All-time classics like Preacher, 100 Bullets, Why the Last Man, The Invisibles, Hellblazer, Sandman. The list goes on and on. And even through their slow decline in the late 2000s, they had books like Fables and DMZ. But today I want to talk about one of the last great original Vertigo epics, The Unwritten. Brought to us by Mike Carey and Peter Gross, the collaborative team that brought us another successful Vertigo series, Lucifer. This 54-issue series plays with concepts I tend to be drawn to. It is, for example, an examination of celebrity culture and the lionization from fans. Most importantly, though, it examines the concept of stories as idea forms, pure and real creations of psychic belief. It's metafiction to a level very rarely seen, a love letter to the history of story and the form itself, relishing and playing off and steeping itself in tropes, but with narrative purpose and thematic relevance. This is at its core a story about the lasting power of stories and the mark they make on humanity, perhaps the only true magic we have as a society. Carrie achieves this in two ways, first by mirroring Harry Potter and supposing the child was based on a real person. We see Tom Taylor the man held up against Tommy Taylor the storybook character his father created, and the way the fictional world brushes up against and overlaps with Tom becomes the focal point for a mystery conspiracy that takes us across the globe and beyond. Even as the unwritten becomes more and more fantastical, Carrie heavily leans on real world history of famous and lasting stories. Locations, names, sequences of events. This is well-researched historical fiction as much as it is a story about a magical child searching for answers and purpose. Peter Gross's art fits this perfectly, somewhere between storybook illustrations and horror art with a palette that matches that storybook feel and makes some of the more intense moments hit all the harder. This is a series I've come back to over the years and find more layers and care in its construction each time. One criticism I do have, you should plan to give this around 10 issues to grab you. It's a little slow in giving up its world and its intent, but the destination is worth the journey, in my opinion. If you've enjoyed recently Kieran Gillen's Once in Future, or to bring Morrison back, Morrison's Animal Man, specifically the way uh, Morrison muses on story in that, I think you'll find a lot to enjoy here in The Unwritten. Yeah, the, the book, I just started reading it. And uh, like was, uh, I, we, we, we spoke a little bit about uh, this before we uh, recorded it. And I, I, I was curious about it. The, the way you explained it sounded really interesting. And yeah, the parallel with Harry Potter is really apparent. Uh, and yeah, I'm only a couple issues in. It, 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 it is taking a little bit to get started, but I'm, I'm invested at this time. The characters are very well written. I find, especially the first five issues, to, are, are more focused on establishing the Tom Taylor character 
which I always think is funny because uh, I picture all of this happening to the comic writer, Tom Taylor. <laughs> uh, and he's just fallen out of the story about a story into the real world. And now he writes great comics. Uh, but I, I so they, they spend the first five or six issues really establishing Tom Taylor's place in the world and the way that his existence is interacting with the greater consciousness of the fandom. And that becomes sort of the building blocks the rest of the world gets built on. So I get why they had to do that, but it is really slow to give up some of its cooler bits. Uh, and it, it doesn't become apparent where it's going at all for like 10 to 15 issues, which I get some people, that's not some people's thing, but it's worth it. It gets so good. It's so big. It's so big. It touches on world literary history in so many interesting ways. And it has something to say about the relationship of story to storyteller to consumer that I really think is special. That really gets me hyped to get further into the series. Now. Get further into it, man. It's, I, it's I'm, cool. I'm working on it. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a great. It, it's it's so interesting right now. Like you said, the first couple issues are kind of explaining the character and and celebrity culture and and just the fandom that follows it that almost to a ridiculous extent. And um, I I appreciated that, like especially in the second issue. So, but like like you're saying that the historically uh like historically accurate and all these other things get brought into the fold after the fifteenth issue uh yeah so like i'm hyped i'm hyped to get there stories about stories are super cool i have such a nerd like hard on for for thinking about the way think like process and the the interaction the like like the the symbiotic interaction between the person telling the story the person receiving the story and like the nature of story and this book just hits that sweet spot so so well for me but it's, yeah, it seems very meta. It's super meta. Just I, I go, I go crazy for that stuff. I'm a, I'm a big dork. We are going to move into the now, Jay. Uh, from what I understand, you want to talk about a book I'm also in love with right now. Yeah, we're in the present now. Um, the, this is the present. <laughs> we're living in the right now. Uh, the book that has me really invested from the get is uh, the Me That You Love in the Dark. Uh, it's an image book written by Scotty Young who did Deadpool and Strange Academy, and uh, Jorge Corona. Am I reading that right? Yeah, Corona, I'm sorry, who did uh, the illustration for Super Sons. His artwork is awesome. I love the edges. I love the lines. I love how, like, the hard colors that it does. It's, it's, this book is, is almost reminiscent of a young, more reserved, but Sam Keith, I'm going to say. Okay. Kind of get that vibe from it. So, um. In the, in the description, this is what kind of pulled me in. It says, for fans of Stephen King and Neil Gaiman. And I was like, oh, well, that seems that seems dope. I'm, it's me. I'm, I'm already there, you know? As of time of recording, we're three issues deep. And um, again, we're going to, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Uh, layers to this title is something that appears simple at first, but it has the potential to transform into something extremely deep. Things are happening that can be taken for face value, but that might not be the case. Uh, the, the perception, uh, you know, it kind of gets into, the, into issues of the perception of those that we fancy, the rose-tinted glasses, the mental decline of individuals, pressure to achieve uh, greatness, not once but twice. Or maybe it's just a spooky romance novel in comic form. I can't call it, but I know I like it. Uh, it doesn't have too many characters. It just features an artist named Ro, Ro Metals. 
who is uh, trying to capture lightning in a bottle twice and reinvent herself. And there's really only two characters, like I said, Ro and the house slash entity in the house. The relationship between her and the house is such an innocent one. It's, it's, it's almost like high school romance type stuff. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's, 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 it's an easy read. It's, it's, it's a, for those who, like, who, who get like, scared of walls of text, there's none of that here. A lot of, a lot of the uh, story is conveyed through the artwork, which having uh, Corona do it is the best way to go about this. You know, he's very expressive in his work. And um, the, the, the second issue, it kind of leaves you in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a weird place. I, I think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I'm going to straight up talk about this stuff if you don't. So you can go for it. The, like I said earlier, the perception of the, those that we fancy, that we seem to overlook what could be considered flaws. That very end of, of issue two, you mean? That's a yeah. great way to look at that panel. I like that a lot. It's, 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 it's the way she sees this thing and the way this thing actually looks is are two separate things. It's not there. It's not what she sees is not really there, but it's not, I don't know. It's like, again, it's, it, it seems like it, it could be taken from multiple angles. Is, is this a mental decline? Is this Ooh. her projecting? I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's written extremely ambiguous. Like, is she like a misanthrope? Maybe she just doesn't like people around and she's created this obsession with isolation that, that uh, you just want to be left alone, which I can relate to at times. <laughs> you know what I'm so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's such a well, well conveyed book. It's not like heavily written and heavy handed. And uh, I, in the, the words of the entity at the, at the end of issue two, it says, I believe you may have found something and it's beautiful. And I think that describes the book as a whole. You have such a different read on the story than I do. Really? And I love that. Yeah. I assume such a more nefarious uh, intent than you are. Um, I think that on the surface, it's being presented as this sort of sweet thing. But I, I took that last panel on issue two to be either a lack of ability to perceive horror or an intentional obscuring of one's real identity. I'm reading this like it's an incredibly toxic relationship where this entity is slowly manipulating this human into falling in love with it and isn't willing to let it go, let, let her go, especially with the introduction of that room in issue three. Mm -hmm. There's a setup where there's no reason, no longer a reason where she would need to leave the house. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I feel like the entity isn't going to want to let her go back to her life at the end of this. That's where I think this is headed. Yeah, and in the third issue, it's like it's it's left very ambiguous about what this entity's uh, intentions are, and it could go into a direction that is a uh, that that is malicious, and the relationship could ultimately be toxic. But he hasn't displayed it hasn't displayed any of those those uh those, you know, besides making her a little reliant on him. But I think I don't know. It's 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 it's. I think that's the point, though. I think yeah. the, the the ambiguity and the subtle inching of this manipulative uh, 
nature. I think that that's the point of the story at this point. I think that we're not supposed to know how to feel as this entity inches itself into this, into this realm more and more. I think that we're supposed to feel like it could be benign and we're supposed to overlook some warning signs. And then I think maybe in the future, we're going to see some more hard red flags. Yeah. It's, it's, this book will be done in December. I'm so curious on how this thing ends. It's, it's such a beautifully crafted masterpiece in my opinion. And it's, I'm with you. Everything you said about the art is, is spot on uh, the way that uh, the story is com- conveyed visually with a very, very light amount of text, very just kind of pointed dialogue in a, a very good interpersonal way, but not a whole lot of narration, not a whole lot of uh, background. We, ju- we know it just enough. We don't have a ton of world building, but we don't need it. It's, that's not the story. And I think that the art conveys the emotion super, super well, like you said. It's the, it's the book that I run to every uh, Wednesday when it comes out. And it's the first thing I do that day. It was top it's, of my pile for issue three, too. <laughs> yeah. So Scott, Scotty Young is someone I only know really for his alternate covers. Likewise, he's done a couple other books. He has a very uh, playful, innocent style. Uh, that's like the Little Avengers, Little X-Men, which are not not great books, in my opinion. I'm not trying to punch down on this at all but um i i think that the, the artwork you. It, yeah yeah the artwork is always great though i'll I, you know i've I flipped through a couple of the books and his art is is amazing but yeah yeah i'm, I'm not too familiar with him writing i've heard good uh, things about middleland so that's like all my list to check out oh uh, and then this is by him so then yeah. yeah after this is um just definitely be checking that out that's sort of where i'm at too is that that's that's my next scotty young foray and uh Strange Academy has been really good, which is also uh, Scotty Young over at Marvel. That's probably the Marvel book going under the radar the most right now. So shout yeah. out, shout outs to Scotty Young on those two things. Shouts, yeah, I'm, big, I'm a fan of what you're doing right now. Honestly, it's great. Closing thoughts. I'm just gonna leave it up to mystery, like the book is right now. <laughs> it's 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 so well 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 uh, executed. And uh, again, you don't have to necessarily be like a a romance person to really get into this i feel like or or like griff was saying you know maybe it's a toxic relationship book we don't know yet it's, i would love to talk about this later yeah i would I, we, we got to revisit this for sure when it's done do a little mini episode i'm definitely down for that bud yeah yeah I'm, I'm definitely down my present book one of my favorite books coming out at the moment uh well uh, Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips image book that Texas blood is a crime comic tinged with the occult that deserves a look. It's set in fictional Ambrose County, Texas. This book pu- pushes in an inexorable pace, driving you slowly but purposefully into its small town characters and history. What makes this book special? Well, Condon's a master in setting and characterization. I've heard this described as slow burn, and it is, but the book has a definable rhythm, a pull that sucks you in and holds you tight to the last page. Usually a well-stylized bit of back matter, fleshing out some story beats and hinting at future developments. This is Jacob Phillips' first ongoing as artist, known best previously for his color work alongside father Sean Phillips and legend Ed Brubaker on things like Criminal and Reckless and Cruel Summer. So the pedigree is high, and in style and substance, it lives up to that pedigree, giving us memorable characters, excellent visual storytelling, mystery and blood 
The art is clean and effective with a very cinematic flair to the layouts and a ton of emotion to the characters. Main character Joe Bob is immediately familiar, but also unique. There are not a lot of 70-year-olds starring in comics right now. I love his mannerisms and healthy relationship to his wife. It's not a thing we see a ton in crime comics. The setting, too, feels fully realized and alive. Ambrose County reminds me of cross-country trips with odd stop-offs in quiet towns where everyone knows each other's names and communal history is long. Uh, I think fans of No Country for Old Men and Southern Bastards will find a lot to enjoy here. I was just about to ask you, uh, Old Country for Men, that, that movie is like, it sounds like that a little bit. It's, uh, it's definitely more occult than that, especially in this most recent, the, the current uh, arc. Uh, it definitely kind of crosses over more into territory. It's nothing like Fatal, but if you've read Fatal, that kind of amount of supernatural or the hint of that kind of supernatural, uh, nothing, it's all kind of ambiguous still. There's no real supernatural goings on, but there's hints of supernatural goings on. Right. And it's being played kind of as a straight crime book. But it's, it's really, it's the setting of Ambrose County that really sets this apart, in my opinion. And what Condon and Phillips do uh, with their limited page counts every month to move this story along at the exact pace they're intending to move it along uh, is something you don't see a ton in the direct market right now. And I'm kind of, it's, it's, it's bold in that way. I, uh, this is also either first or second every week in my read pile. Full disclosure, I have not read this book yet. I've seen it and it's piqued my interest. So I let, think- I'm Let this be your call to out. action, my friend. <laughs> I think I'm going to be checking this out. The first trade's out uh, for my trade people. It's definitely worth the purchase. The second trade is not out. It's still coming out. So it's only one trade in. It's a perfect time to hop on. The second arc is just about to wrap up. It sounds good. I'm going, do, I'm going to be checking this out. Let's, uh, let's move into the future then. We're in the future. The future. Flying cars. And Whoa. <laughs> it's great here. <laughs> it's great here. <laughs> Clean, renewable energy. Okay. Um, for the, my Paradise. future book, <laughs> for my future book, uh, I picked, uh, the house of slaughter and Ooh. this is, this is, it's like, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit because, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of just a new book by title because, um, it, it it's, it's basically the sequel, not a sequel. It's picking up, uh, where, uh, something's killing the children somewhere in the storyline uh it, it, it's uh, it, it's really that first of all something is killing the children is great oh great it's one of the one of the best books out there in all honesty it's on, on boom studios uh it's written by james tynan the fourth and uh taint bombro and uh whether they'll i mean she's i'm sorry i'm gonna butcher this person's name <laughs> delia delaria yeah um, okay, so if you've read if you've read something is killing the children, which if you haven't, you really need to read something is killing the children. Go buy something is killing the children. Go go do it. Do it do now. It, do it. We'll be waiting. Um, <laughs> it gets into a a character that was established in the first story arc of that series, uh, Aaron Slaughter, and uh, you know A Aaron and his origins. <laughs> So it's a it's 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 an interesting choice uh, to pick that character to be the focal point, in my opinion, uh, considering where the story is at right now. Uh, it, it seems like this book is going to get into the internal politics of the House of Slaughter, the uh, monster hunting 
shadow organization. It's it's an information dump near the end of the uh, free of the what is it? Something's killing the children. Episode twenty, making the world very uh, like way more expansive than the original conflict seemed like it for was. sure. Uh, they get into like all the these tiers and different chapters and houses and stuff like that all over the world, and we've just dealt with uh, an outbreak in a small town so far. The thing I like about this is that it, it this this series something is killing the children. If you take this in, in combination with the House of Slaughter, it has not exceeded its first story arc yet. It goes back to pivotal moments and explains them more in depth, which mm-hmm. I like because it's like when you're reading through the original story, it's like, okay, I'm getting, I'm understanding this, but then it goes back to a certain point. It explains why this person got involved and, and that phone call that you didn't hear, how it actually went down and what this shadow organization, what kind of powers they actually have. And it, it drops these tidbits of knowledge throughout the thing and, and it fleshes the story out even more so. And, uh, you know, I, I, it says that something is killing the children is coming back. Uh, and I take it this will be the the beginning of the second story arc. So, like, I'm just I'm just curious about where they're going to take this with uh, Aaron Slaughter, if he's going to remain the main character and if it's going to get into it, because it, it gets into like a like like the, the character didn't seem too interesting when they first announced him when he first came into the scene it was like okay I'm, I'm i'm curious on what what this character is you know capable of and then it just kind of ends and you're kind of just like all right so can we make this character feel like he had more gravity more more uh impact in the story and i, I like how they're going back and doing that that that's a real interesting take in my opinion I'm excited for the uh, the world building and expansion. I'm excited to see some of the other houses and maybe how they interact, like the politics, like you said. Mm-hmm. It seems like a really interesting direction to push the world. Instead of pushing uh, forward, we're kind of pushing out. Yeah. It's it's like, and Erica Slaughter is is a great character and there's something killing the children. And it's it's, it's just, I'm just really curious on, 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 like they just went through her origin story and explained uh, a, a lot about her. But like you said, uh, it pushes out where she's no longer the focal point. She's, she's a cog in the machine that, that uh, not, not a very cooperative one, but you know, she's, she's a person that in this, in this, uh, this expansive world where she's just one person. And I like that because they made her seem like so, like the center of the story for close to 20 issues. And yeah then we're going to say, yeah, you know, her overarching story, even though she is the focal point, she's, there's way more movie parts behind this whole thing. Do you know when this comes out? This is coming out at the end of the month. Yeah. It's very exciting. October, yeah. October is such a busy month. I got to, I got to get another job. <laughs> Comics. <laughs> I'm the, yeah. Yeah. I want to spotlight Night of the Ghoul coming to Comicsology October 19th from Scott Snyder and uh, Frank Avala. Night of the Ghoul is one of the numerous creator-owned original titles Snyder is bringing to Comixology through his personal imprint, Best Jacket Press. The initiative is launched with an event called Scott-tober, with three books coming in October alone. Clear, a sci-fi noir, We Have Demons, which came out last week, and Night of the Ghoul. All three look interesting. 
Snyder's prolific resume includes things like Batman, DC's Death Metal, Noctera, American Vampire, and Witches. While Frank Avila has worked on tons of Marvel and DC properties, as well as most of the main pulp heroes, and his creator-owned series, The Black Beetle, which I personally enjoyed. Snyder previewed some pages during his Substack Comics class recently, and the first pages of Ghoul hooked me in visual style and tone immediately. Ostensibly about the search for a long-lost horror masterpiece from the 30s that might itself be haunted, and in a larger way about film itself, Night of the Ghoul promises to be a slow-burn creature feature filled with tension and build. Snyder's American Vampire is an example of how masterfully he can weave period horror, and I'm so, so excited to see what he does with this story. Francovilla's art is a major draw, too. He's a great visual storyteller and conveys so much feeling and tension with his pulpy style. Book has a ton of promise. Scott Snyder is amazing. Almost almost always a must-read, for sure. Uh, yeah. Just He's- a great dude, too. Love, love supporting him. Love that this is on Comixology Unlimited from release date. So if you have a Comixology subscription, you already have access to these comics as they come out. And that's just really cool. Yeah, like I, I, I just heard about these other two that you were mentioning that he that Scott Snyder did. I, I just downloaded um, uh, we, we Have Demons. Had Demons we Have Demons. Yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be really good. I, uh, it's on my list right now, too. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's the, the, like when I saw the team behind it, I was just like, this is the same team that did the new 52 Batman. Yeah. Capullo and, and Snyder. You got to grab that. that you have you to grab There's that no book. way around it. It's, it's like when I saw their names, I was like, oh yeah. It's, and, and it comes with the subscription. Yeah. Sign me up. I want it. So, so this book, this book is, uh, is sounding really interesting. Now I'm going to go, I'm going to look into all, all these stuff. Cause like, again, Scott, they come Snyder. with a subscription. You have nothing to lose. Yeah, the, what do you have to lose besides the couple minutes that it takes to read this book? And if you don't like it, never pick it up again. And I doubt that that's going to be the case because Scott Snyder has not disappointed me at this point. I, I won't say that I love all of the things I've read by Snyder, but I will say that I respect the vision and thought he puts into all of his things. Some of them just aren't for me. And that's okay. okay yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, like, but like, I, I, I just think he I, is I fantastic. I would say is... nine out of 10 uh, yeah, times. Yeah. That's a hit, you know? Absolutely. And especially for the price of free. And it's not just the first issue. Each issue is going to release Comixology free, like on release. So and let's let's make this clear. OK, for the price of three, three books a month is basically going to be the subscription at that point. It's uh, I think it's the price of what would like one or two issues would cover it. And instead of that, you're going to get all three issues each month and that'll cycle out. And then another three books are coming. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty excited that, uh, you know, the spotlight on Comixology Unlimited, especially as a solution to piracy and for people who are low on funds but want to read these stories, I think uh, it's a really, really good resource. So I'm excited to see them making moves for this original content. A parting thank you to all the people watching and talking about these books with us in the comments and messages. Support your local comic shops. Shout out to Comic Relief and Wade's Comic Madness for holding me down every new comic book day. Support the books and creators you love. Thanks to Ray Ray Beats for our intro music. Check out his new song, Ghost, available on all streaming platforms. Like, subscribe, and ring that bell for notifications on new episodes. I'm going to try to push out two a month for now. Uh, Jay, tell everyone how they can check out on the Digital Soapbox again. 
and hit people with your closing thoughts for the episode if you want to. Yeah, again, uh, on the Digital Soapbox with Soapbox J, talk about video games and video game culture and the dirty business behind it. You can find me on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Podcast, Anchor, Overcast, wherever podcasts are available, just Google me. I'm also on uh, Twitter, as I said, uh, on a soapbox with three X's. No pornography, I promise. It is work-friendly. <laughs> so, I, I vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, please, uh, please join. Interact. It's great. I don't, I don't shy away from conversation or controversy, so that's it. And you can always keep up with me on Twitter at Griffin Talks, where I'm usually posting quick impressions and reviews on weeklies and trades as I get to them. There's a great little community blossoming on our Discord name to be determined. I like to think of it as a community of collaborators, like a co-op where we all support each other, plug our projects, but also a place to talk nerdy and discover new music and just chill. Link to join in the description. Uh, next episode, I am back with former Honestly Nerds co-host Chris Nolan. Cheers. <laughs>